in the early morning hours last Sunday, uh, Leland Marrero was driving home from Nashville to uh, his parents' home in Franklin, Sandy and Rob's home. They were out of town, and he was going to house-sit, take care of the dogs for them. He was on 65. He uh, swerved off the road. His car rolled. He was thrown from it, and Leland was killed. Leland was 26 years old. Many of you know Rob and Sandy Marrero. Um, I met Leland when he was eight years old. Uh, when Rob and Sandy moved from North Nashville to uh, Franklin area, and they've been at Fellowship ever since. Uh, many of you know them. But so you, you might not have seen them here because they've been at the Franklin congregation for the past, you know, four years, ever since we've, we've done that. Um, Sandy's on our staff team, uh, serving uh, in our children's ministry, and uh, he leaves behind mom and dad and Susanna, Sarah, Millie, and Dawson. On uh, Thursday evening, we had visitation in this very room. Thousands came through, you all. It was from 5 to 8. It went to 8.45, and the line was never, it never went down. They just people flowing through to give condolences, to express their sympathies. On Friday at 11, uh, myself and Michael and um, Leland's Uncle Danny, we performed the, uh, uh, officiated the memorial. It was, in, again, in this very room. Um, Many in the room, if not most, do not attend fellowship. And so uh, when I shared my remarks, I took the opportunity to, uh, of course, we're going to share the gospel, and I took the opportunity to tell them the story of the Bible. And they didn't know this, and if you're a guest, you might not know it, but if you remember here, you know, we sit in the story of the gospel amongst four wall murals that hang around us. And uh, I explained this to the, the, the gathering that day, that the story of the Bible can be captured in four words, and the, these murals present those. Creation, God created all things and put a man and a woman in a garden, and they were made to be in relationship with God. That's why we're made. And yet within, uh, you know, we don't know how long, but soon we're in Genesis chapter 3, and we experience the next word, and that's the word fall, because Adam and Eve chose to go their own way. They, God said, you can have all you need, and you're made to live in relationship with me. And they said, well, we're going to choose the fruit and ate of that and rebelled, quite frankly. And so you have creation, fall, and you all know this. Up here to the front right, you have the redemption, creation, fall, redemption, that for thousands of years, God prepared the world for the coming of his son, the Lord Jesus, the God-man who died on the cross for our sins, was buried, raised again. And all who put their trust in Christ, believing what he did, he did for them, that we are born again, as the Bible says. We're clothed in his righteousness and our sins are forgiven. And then we move to the back right panel. If you, if you look back there with me for a moment, you know, you, you, this is a picture of baptism. I love it. It's a husband and wife or a man and a woman. You know, and again, it's a picture back together with God, with each other. And in that, that is the new creation, or we call it recreation. So the story of the Bible, creation, fall, redemption, recreation. One day God's coming to make all things new, to set all things right. And I explain this to, to the group in the in a setting to present the good news of the gospel. And I, I remember standing here, and it struck me, and it strikes me even now, and I want everyone looking at this wall, if you may. Uh, if you just look at this wall, you see these paintings. There's the, the, of course, the crucifixion, redemption is here, and then you have the recreation on the right. Every other place, on everything on these walls is in the past, except the space between those paintings. You and I live between those paintings on the wall. That's our space, you see. 
in a sense, again, you look back up here at me, in a sense you have, we have the, the, gospel, the, the cross behind us, you know what I mean by that, historically in time, and, and the promise in front of them, the historical reality here, the, the promise that God's going to make all things new out there in front of us. And in between, we have life on this planet, and by golly, let me say, life on the planet is hard. Uh, it is a, it's difficult. Um, we live with the cross behind us and a promise out there that it'll be all be made new, but in between, we still tangle with death, don't we? It still touches each one of us and will. Um, it's not just physical, it's not just death, the death of a young man, 26 years old, y'all, it's in that space, um, there's relational deaths, family deaths. There's deaths of dreams, hopes, uh, health, life, desires. There's all kinds of death in there. And I'm not, please don't hear me say, you know, like, boy, we live there and it's awful. I'm saying we live there and it's awesomely wonderful, God's good gifts to us, joys and fullness and gladness, but, but you, you, let's not forget we hold both the fullness and the loss. I want you to know when we stand in that space, and I had us even look at it because I want you to know we're not alone in that space. And in fact, as we come to our text today, I want to remind you we're we're not alone in it's just this room. Please understand, the original readers of Mark's gospel, as we study it, they live in that space. See, They were in that space with the cross behind them and a promise in front of them. Don't forget that they lived in that space in the times of Nero when he was literally feeding them to lions and burning them on stakes. And if you go from greater to lesser, if he would do that to them... Can you imagine the, the lesser things that would be done to Christians in that day? They lived in that space with us. I have to believe there were hundreds, if not thousands of families, of course, that lived in that space. Just it felt many of the things that Rob and Sandy and those kids have felt this past week. And I wonder, I wonder if in that space that, that the original readers of this letter ever thought, Really? God, this is the kingdom of God? This is the abundant life you promised Jesus? This is that? You know, in all honesty, those two questions are never far from me. Now, you guys know me. I'm, I'm kind of the glasses half empty kind of a person, so I know it's not everyone per se, but those things kind of live in my mind, and they live in my mind not just because of walking with Rob and Sandy in this great tragedy and hardship, but just living my own life. I mean, you just, I just take my own life and what's in it, and it can be, be difficult. And then I, I walk with you, and, and I'm privileged and honored to do that, but we, there's a lot of hurt always at all times in a community of faith that's our size. Well... Mark's going to conclude this little section on parables 
uh, with some very select parables he chooses. He could have chose a bunch of parables, but he only chooses these few, and he's going to wrap up this little section on it, with some parables, some stories that explain the kingdom of God. He's going to say, let, let me tell you what the kingdom of God is like, because you're going to be living in this space, and there'll be times you wonder, really? Well, the kingdom of God doesn't function in the way we think it does. I want to suggest there's a lot at stake here, listening today, because a right understanding of the kingdom of God and how it functions in our day and in that space It won't keep you from disappointment and loss and hurt, but it will give you hope in the midst of it. Hope that doesn't disappoint, ultimately. That's why it really matters. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them. I think you know we're in Mark chapter 4. We're in verses 21 to 34. 21 to 34, last week Michael walked us through the very familiar, I think, parable of the soils, the four soils, you recall that? And we're going to actually grab a little bit of that as we move forward because Mark stays with it, I think. The question was, are you listening? Are you listening? You remember this? And then Michael walked us through the parable and the four soils represent the heart of of humanity. What's your heart? What's your receptivity to to the truth of God's word? Is it hard? You got a hard heart? Uh, are, are, are you intrigued but shallow? You know, are you that kind of soil? Uh, or maybe you're a distracted soil and, you know, it grows a little and then everything goes away because it gets choked out. Or the last question, of course, was, are you good soil? Are you good soil? And, of course, the, probably the, at the core of good soil is you welcome. You're welcoming to the words of God. Today... We're going to look at the nature, character, and working of God's kingdom. It's going to be very connected to these soils. You'll see this in a moment. And I'm going to give you a phrase here, three phrases that that capture these three parables we will touch on. So let me give these to you. I'll give them to you again as we go through it, but this will give you a bit of an outline. Uh, Verses 21 to 25, what's hidden is revealed. It's the first section we'll look at. What is hidden is revealed. Verses 21 to to 25. Second is going to be what's growing is unseen. What's growing is unseen. That's 26 to 29. And then finally, what's small is huge. <laughs> what's small is huge. And that's going to be verses 30 to 34. Follow along in your Bibles. This is God's word to us this Lord's day. What's hidden is revealed, verse 21, and he, that's Jesus, was saying to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it, or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing hidden, nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you and more will be given you besides. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. What's hidden is revealed. Now, 
you all are, know that in these, you know, they didn't have electricity. They didn't light their homes with light bulbs. They lit their homes with, you know, candles in our mind. But it would have been these lamps. And, you know, picture a little almost like a, a cream, you know, a, a cream dish that you pour milk for your, your coffee or something in. And in it would be oil and a little wick sticking out the spout. It would be, of course, made of clay. And that would be a lamp. You'd hold it and you'd have the lamp to light a room, and it's very clear. Jesus is just it's saying, you know, we get the answers to these. Jesus is saying, you know, you don't take a lamp, which is meant to light the room. You don't bring it into a room and put it under a bushel, which is what he's describing there. You don't put it under a basket and hide it. No, no, we don't. No, we get that. And he says, you don't put it under a bed. Now, they slept on the floor. There's some cases where they made a Roman bed where they were sleeping above the floor, so to speak. But you don't put it under the bed where... Gosh, you burn the bed, but also no light fills the room. You get that? So very clear we go, well, no, no, Jesus. And he says, you put on the lampstand. Yes, that's where you put the light so that it might reveal and it might show itself. But what is the, what is the lamp? This is the, 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 a little bit of a key for us here to understand what this is saying, especially because he flows straight into this statement, you know, to, to, to say to them that that which is hidden is actually to be revealed. What do we mean by that? Well, what's the lamp? The original Greek reads this way, it says, a lamp does not come in order to be put under a bowl or bed, does it? And it's the idea that, you know, a lamp doesn't come in, a lamp is brought in. And so you get this picture in your mind with the original Greek, it's like the lamp itself comes in on its own. That's like a walking lamp, which is in nothing but Disney movies, right? Walking and singing lamps. So commentators take that and, 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 and say, you know, this seems to indicate then that the lamp it's not a lamp, it's Jesus himself. Some would say it's the truth he brings, which, by the way, it's hard to separate Jesus from the truth he brings anyways. But so the, the lamp, and I would hold to this, is, is Jesus. Um, go, back to the, go back to what I said earlier about the story of the Bible, you know, creation, fall. In, in the fall, by the way, this panel is Genesis 3. Do you know when God pronounced the curses uh, on, on humanity by their rebellion, that in Genesis 3, he said, and there is coming a future day when there will be a male child born of a woman who will crush the serpent. It's called the Proto-Evangelion, the first good news. And we know today, in Genesis 3, when that was spoken, who was he speaking of? Of, of Jesus. See, but it was, but did everyone know that after that? No, it was hidden. For thousands, think about this, from there to there, thousands of years, Jesus himself is hidden. And, and, and God, God is slowly showing, you know, he, create, he builds a nation and this nation sacrifices animals because sin deserves death. And they need to learn that, boy, if, if there's sin, then blood must be shed to satisfy the wrath against sin. And then Jesus comes in Matthew and he's revealed. He wasn't, you know, if something is hidden and it's never revealed, it's lost, you know. So this, Jesus has never been hidden to be lost. He was hidden in order that God can work out the history of redemption. And by the way, when Jesus came the first time, he's absolutely revealed he's the fullness of God in flesh. But there are things about Jesus even now, would you not agree, that are, that are hidden, that we, we don't know everything that, but we will know in full one day future in the recreation in the promise of God that he'll make all things new. Does that make sense? So a hidden is not hidden forever. It's hidden in order that it might be revealed at the proper time. 
uh, verse 25, uh, 23 to 25 says this, if you want to see more of Jesus, then you need to trust what he says. If you don't trust what he says, then even what he has said to you will be taken from you. I think this is another hard saying. I don't know how it hits you. It's, really? You're going to take away what little I've got? <laughs> and the guy who has more, you're going to give, you have something, you're going to give him more? Let's, let's think about this for a moment. Um, this really is, it, it, it really does fit that euphemism we have, use it or lose it. This is actually a good application of that. Jesus is saying, use the truth you have or you will lose the truth you've been given. Now, that does sound tough. Let's think about it in terms of the manna that they got in the Old Testament. Remember the manna? How much would they go out and get for each day? Enough for that day and enough for your family. What happened to the extra stuff they got? People wanted to get more than they needed. What happened to it? It was taken away. Do you see that? It was spoiled. In other words, you get this, you use it. If you're not going to use it, it's taken away. Uh, if we think that that sounds harsh, let me, let me see if I can clarify it just a bit. You do know that the Bible tells us we are going to be held accountable for the truth we've been given. We are going to be accountable for how much truth we have been given. Now, if you, if you are given truth and you trust it, then you see you give more truth. But Jesus says if you're given truth and, and you reject it, you, your heart's going, I don't want it and I'm not going to apply it. Now think about this. If he keeps giving you truth, Tell me what it's going to be like on a day of accountability for you. Now, when you think about it like that, you go, oh, it's actually the mercy of God that he withholds truth, withholds truth from those who aren't trusted. Do you see that? It's, it's, it's his kindness that he does this. This is not a cruel thing, but it is a reality that we're accountable for that which we are given. Do we trust it? Well, what's hidden is revealed Let's go to what's growing is unseen. Look at verses 26 to 29. And he was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night. I love that phrase, I think, because I like to go to bed at night. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day and the seed sprouts and grows. How, he himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. When the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Let me give you a quick review of the kingdom of God. Very simple. When you think about the kingdom of God, think of this phrase, the rule of God. The rule of God is like the rule of God. In its broadest sense, the rule of God, wherein we're under his rule. In its broadest sense, it says the gospel, the good news, goes to the four corners of the globe. People trust the gospel, the good news of Jesus. He died on the cross for their sins, was buried and raised again. And he did it for them. The, the, the rule of God is expanding. You see that? The kingdom is going out. It's expanding. It's going where people come under the rule of God. The rule of God in its narrowest sense is going to be my personal relationship with God. I've trusted Christ, and over the my, however lot, you know, time I have on this earth, 
I hope I give more and submit more and more to his rule in my life, becoming more and more like him. And in that way, the kingdom of God is actually expanding in my very soul. You see, in my life, it's actually growing. More and more of me comes under his leadership and rule and submission to him. So this is the kingdom of God. And and Jesus is trying to say, "Let let me describe to you what it's like between that panel and that panel on the wall, what the kingdom of God is going to be like. And he said, it's like a man who casts seed upon the soil. Now, this is one of the reasons we teach the way we do expositionally is, see, we're reading this in its context, and so we all know when he says this, there was a man who cast seed upon the soil. We actually know what the seed is because we already read about it last week. So what is the seed that's being cast? What is it? Say it out loud. See, this happened last service, I think. I guess we didn't learn last week, you know, but the seed is the word. It's the word, right? And so we know that the soil, what did we learn last week? The soil is the, it's the heart, you know, it's, it's, you receive the attitude of the heart. We go through this and we know, we already know that, okay, that's what this is about. And then verse 27, we read the farmer goes to bed. He has no idea how the seed grows. The, uh, the how the seed grows is in the emphatic position. It just means this. The way it was written in the Greek, the, the spotlight is on. He didn't even know how it grew. It's the emphasis, you see, is on that very thing. He has no idea how this happens. In verse 28, it says the, the soil produces the crops by itself. By itself is one Greek word. It's automatos. That sounds a lot like what to us? Automatic, right? Automatic. It, it, it grows automatically. The only other place that word is used is in Acts when Peter you know, gets out of jail and he's walking and the gate swings op- open, automatos. It, o- it opens by itself. There's no one there and this gate just swings open. That's the, the word that it means and that's what it means when he looks at that seed. The fundamental message of this, of this parable, I'm going to give you this sentence. I'm going to have two sentences I'll give you here in a moment. This is the first one. The growth of the kingdom is secret and certain. The growth of the kingdom is secret and certain. There's, some, there's a principle I want to pull out of that, but I'm going to hold it because I want to go into the next parable because Jesus does. And then we'll take these two sentences and I'll pull out some application for us. Notice Jesus just you know, continues on after this parable in verse 30. We're now at what's small is huge. And he said... How shall we picture the kingdom of God? It's like Jesus talking to him going, how, how am I going to show you guys what it's like? What, am I gonna, what kind of picture am I going to give you so you'll know what the kingdom of God is like? He says, verse 31, it's like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. With many such parables, he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. Here, Jesus compares the kingdom of God to the mustard seed. Um, uh, It's the smallest seed on the soil. Now, scientifically, it's not, so don't get hung up on this. Um, people say, oh, he was wrong. Jesus was wrong. You know, it's not a small seed. By the way, this thing's the size of a, you know, a grain of salt, this tiny seed. And Jesus is using a euphemism. It's, it's something like if I said it's raining cats and dogs, you guys wouldn't go, he doesn't know weather. You know, dogs don't fall away. No, no, no. 
remember when Jesus was talking to them about their faith and they didn't have much? And he said, I mean, if you guys had faith the size of a, yeah, you know, because that's the thing they knew. They said, man, if you, if you had tiny faith, you could actually move a mountain, the biggest thing you can see. You see what he's doing? He's saying, he's getting in their heads. The smallest thing you can imagine, faith, can move the biggest thing you can imagine, a mountain. And please note that's what he's doing here. The, the, the emphasis in this last parable is on the contrast. Tiny, massive, the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, you know, don't, don't be discouraged by foolish and insignificant beginnings. That, that's the, the kingdom of God. You know, when you're living out the kingdom of God, don't, don't get tripped up when it's nothing's happening or it seems tiny or this seems really crazy or foolish. Think about, you know, this is a movement whose founder was killed, whose chief lieutenants dispersed and deserted him. This is how we're going to begin this movement. The message of this parable, this is the second sentence I mentioned, is the influence of the kingdom will start small but finish big. The influence of the kingdom will start small but finish big. So if I can put it this way, we got these two parables here on the back end. One is speaking of growth. The other one is speaking of influence. So we'll go, okay, this is how the kingdom functions between those two panels on the wall. Well, how do we apply this? I mean, how, what does it mean to us today? Um, why did Mark choose these parables? Please note, the parable of the seed growing secretly is only in Mark. I mean, he had the list he could choose from, right? But he has a reason he's writing this, and he chooses just a few of these parables, and that one in particular. Why? Okay, stick with me. I'm going to try and connect these dots contextually. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. You know, sometimes I have you raise your hand. This is a don't raise your hand. So um, uh, I'm going to raise mine just because, just as an expression, just so you know that this is in your minds I raise it. How many of you, you know, you hope, you know, you're not bragging or anything, but you hope you're good soil. Don't, you know, you just hope, I hope I'm good soil. I mean, you want, I desire to be good soil. I really do. When I look at that parable, I, I want that. I think most everyone in the room does. And if you don't know Christ and you're here today, I, I think you wouldn't even be here if you weren't interested. And th that's what good soil is about, beginning to welcome. And um, I think we, we're, we're good soil. Don't raise your hand on this, but how many of you found, have found, found yourself living between those two panels thinking, I, I thought I was good soil, but my goodness, when I look at the crop I'm producing, I must not be, because <laughs> uh, 30, 60, 100 fold, not in my lot, you know, it may be even like, I don't know, it. how about zero, how about, how about I've ruined other people's crops recently, you know, it's kind of that thing, and you wonder. I tell you, when you start going down that path, you're Your faith begins to falter. And I don't know, you could begin to wonder, maybe I'm not good soil after all. Thought I was, but it's not happening like I thought it would. 
And I'll tell you when that happens and you're living between those panels, can I tell you what happens to that panel? The recreation, as you're looking out and going, the recreation's coming though, is the recreation kind of just sinks on the horizon and can't see it anymore. I've got to believe that the original readers of this, because we know the context in which they lived, they had to wonder, I don't know if we're good soil. I thought we were. And Jesus, I think, and Mark organizes in such a way to say, look, we've got to remind you that hmm, growth of the kingdom is secret. You can't see it, but it's certain. And the influence of the kingdom, oh, it's small, insignificant, but it's going to finish big. And in the midst of life, between those panels, you got to hold those things and know those things because you can't see the growth that's happening. And it doesn't look like much right now in the season of Nero. This is not a revival going on here, by the way. But you believe it, that God said, no, no, no. It might look like an ember at moments in history, but it's going to end in a massive, massive tree. Three lessons, observations maybe for you to consider. First is what I've just been saying. Good soil can look like bad soil in the process of growth. I just want to remind you of that. That, that good soil can actually feel, look like bad soil in the process of maturity and growth. You don't want to read too much into parables, and I'm just qualifying this, that I'm reading too much into this parable right now, but I'm going to say this. You know, Jesus didn't say perfect soil. And I don't know about you, but have you ever seen soil without any weeds in it? I mean, Augusta National comes close, but I have found a weed or two, in the, you know, where the masters is played. But no, it's not, it's not perfect soil. Um, there, I think there are times, you know, would you say there are times you're distracted by the world? Yes. I mean, there's a few weeds get in there. Absolutely. You ever, you ever hard and not receptive? Yeah, yeah, I am. You know, but if you are living the truth you have been given by the power of the Holy Spirit, always, you know, I always want to reiterate that you know, we don't live the Christian life in our strength. You don't just say, hey, the Bible says it, go do it. Okay. No, it's the Bible says it by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in me. I'm going to trust it and trust the Spirit to reproduce and enable me to believe. So when we're doing that with the truth we've been given, you know you're good soil. Doesn't look like it right now. I know it's not a lot of fruit around you right now. That's okay. And when I say you trust the truth you've been given, I just want to say this because some of us can tend to go, how do I apply all of this? Because I, I know too much. You know. No, no, no. It's the truth you've been given. And that would be this. Today, um, not me, but God through this word is throwing seed on you. I mean, think of it, just, and I was going to do this. I was going to throw a big handful of seed on a bunch of you. You know, you're going to have it on you. And, and here's the thing. You can get up, and, and when you walk out of here, you can brush the seed off and go eat lunch. Or you can, you know, just grab one of them and just go, this is the truth. And just go, I want to trust this truth today. Just, just this little one, just the one today. And tomorrow, take another one. You see that? Don't try and take the whole deal, you know. Just the truth in front of you that you have. Good soil can look like bad soil in the process of growth. Secondly, 
uh, there is an order to growth which takes time. There is an order to growth which takes time. That's verse 28. You notice very specifically he says, the blade comes first, then the head, and then the mature grain. You notice there's, there's a progress to spiritual growth, to maturity in the faith. You can't, it doesn't just go, the seed goes in, and there's the mature head. No, 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 it's a process, and it takes time to grow. The order can't be bypassed, rearranged. You know, my kids, they did not walk before they crawled. And they did not run before they walked. Now, there was some, there was some differences in time on this thing. I remember at least not, was it Darden that was the, the one that didn't walk? Uh, you know, we're going, my goodness, man, he's... He's, I don't, 15 months, he talked a lot, but he didn't walk, and uh, Lisa's telling me, and, but he didn't walk, we're going, oh my gosh, that, that kid's nine months old and walking, darn, not walking yet, or, you know, Sally comes along, she walks at eight, you know, they walk, whatever. It doesn't, it's not about, you know, do you walk before someone, are you more mature than someone else, it's, are you growing right where you are? That's maturity, not compared to others. Just compared to the truth you've been given. There's a process to growth. It's certain. It is so certain. But it's not soon. It's not right there. I did some work in my backyard recently. I had to climb a ladder to get up in this tree. And uh, thank God I'm alive, you know, because I, I shouldn't have been up there. My neighbors worried about me. Lisa and them were, you know, I got my phone up there just in case I need to call emergency. The fire trucks get me out of the tree like a cat. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it's, it's simple and silly, but, you know, when I got up in that tree, I, I had a ladder tied to the tree, and you know how you go up a ladder? I said, I go up a ladder, one rung at a time, and this is how we grow spiritually. Lisa and I were in Chicago earlier in this week, and uh, we were in a hotel. We were on the 25th floor. You know how I got to the 25th floor? One step, no, not at all. How did I get to the first, how did I get to the 25th floor? What did I get on? I skipped 24 floors, man, just from 1st to the 25th. You know, that's how you do it in an elevator. But that's not how you grow spiritually. You grow one rung step at a time. This is what it's telling us. Be patient, my friends, <laughs> with yourself and with others in our growth. David McKenna said it like this, and I like this a lot. He said, don't measure your spiritual growth with a stopwatch. Use a calendar. Great image. Last thing, there, faithfulness is our responsibility. Fruitfulness is God's. Really, really important. Faithfulness is our responsibility. Fruitfulness is God. The farmer sowed. He did other things, of course, but in a parable, you know, he's not going to tell every little detail that he does. He's a farmer. You know, they don't just throw the seed in and go to bed and wait. They cultivate it. But he, he could only sow the seed. That, and they just keep coming back to this. Our responsibility, sow the seed. God's responsibility, cause the growth, produce the fruit. If you take responsibility for fruitfulness in your life or in another person's life, I'm going to tell you something. You will go to bed at night 
and not sleep. (laughs) See, that's what happens when you take responsibility for fruitfulness. You will be frustrated. Uh, If you're experiencing a measure of discouragement in your life right now, just just a check, you might want to ask, man, am I taking responsibility for fruitfulness in my child's life and my spouse and my friend and I'm, I'm taking, you don't take responsibility for fruitfulness. We're responsible to be faithful. I want everybody to turn with me one more time. I know it's harder in the back, back, back there. It's easier on this side. But we're looking at this wall, you know, that space. And I, wanted, I just wanted you to have your eyes on that as we're thinking about this. Because in that space, I've already said this, it's very difficult. And in that space, I want you to know, as the promise of recreation remains in front of us. There will be days when you wonder, am I even in the kingdom? I mean, because this is not what I intended. Death can cloud our vision, and it's physical death, but it's also all the other deaths I mentioned. We can struggle in that space. But I want you to know we stand with those who've gone before us, And we stand together. I share the story about Leland because I want us praying for them. Mourning with them in this loss. Praying that that in time, God in his great kindness can lift their eyes, right? To see the horizon and know the recreation is coming. And the kingdom right now can grant them peace. We get overwhelmed in that space. By all of life. Some of us are overwhelmed by the election. You know, I'm not the political kind. Um, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not way into that, per se. And I, I don't even say that. I, I, hope, I hope when I say that, that all of you understand that one of our greatest responsibilities to sow is to vote. I hope every young person hears me when I say that. I'm not dismissing the importance of an election. Um, and our responsibility. But, but I also want to say this with that qualifier. God doesn't need three Supreme Court justices to move his agenda forward. Or to move it on time. And I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm not, I just want you to know God doesn't need a specific person in the White House. For his kingdom to move forward. Now again, when I say that, vote... Be responsible, but listen, November 9th, get up and breathe. God is on his throne and remains there. I've got a benediction I want to give you. Let's stand together. It's 1040. We're on time here. Uh, This is our application. This is our so what, if I can do it this way. All right, you ready? Here's the, the, the exhortation of the text, and even goes back to the, the, the past parable. It's very simple. Today, throw some seed. Tonight, go to bed. Go to sleep. And rest well. Knowing, knowing this, in that space between those two, That God is at work in ways you and I cannot see in the lives of others, in the world itself, 
and in our own lives. And when we think it's lost and it's the kingdom's swallowed by death, know that out of the insignificant beginning, it is continuing to move to a grand conclusion where in a recreation that's coming and is ours, he will wipe away every tear and there will be no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more mourning. And God instructed the Apostle John to write those words down because they're faithful and true. God bless.